Hello, you're listening to Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better, and each episode I'll be talking to my guests about their epiphanies, their inspirations, and the magic of their workflow. And this week I'm joined by Vicky Lovegrove. Hi, Vicky. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you for joining us and do yourself a favour. Would you like to give you a bit of an introduction to yourself to everybody? Okay, so my name's Vicky Lovegrove and I run a very small graphic design business based in Burton-on-Trent in Staffordshire. I've had my business for 18 years and I've been working within the creative industries for 30 years. Lovely. And you've, when we first met each other, you were saying there's there's a, a kind of coaching angle to, to what you do as well, which is yeah. fascinating. Yeah, for the last couple of years, I've moved into coaching. So I also um, coach creatives as well. So that might be people who run their own business or who are creatives within somebody else's business, or they could be freelance creatives or people who just want to know a bit more about using creativity in their business. Fantastic. So the first question that we, we come to is, what's something that you wish you'd learnt earlier? Okay, so I learned, I spent a bit of lockdown, like a lot of people, learning something new. But I learned something completely unrelated to what I normally do. I learned a technique called havening, of which I'm still qualifying in. So I can talk to you about it, but um, I'm not not quite qualified yet. It takes a long time. Sorts of things that I'm not qualified <laughs> to talk about. I wouldn't worry about that. A very, very few things of the things I talk about have I do I have any authority to speak from whatsoever. So sorry, tell me about Havening. It's a brilliant tool. So Havening is a technique which allows somebody to help somebody else. Or you can do it yourself, actually. That's what's so great about it. It's a technique which allows you to remove emotional content from a memory. So it's used a lot with people who've experienced trauma and PTSD and things like that. But it can also be used, and this is why I've learned it, within a coaching um, way to help people overcome things that they've got a bit stuck with. So that's why I've learned it. But it is a really powerful tool. And I wish I'd known it years ago because if you're somebody, and I'm not like this, who can sometimes keep going over and over past events and sometimes they can stop you moving forward, this can completely change that. It's, it's an amazing tool. So how, how do you think it would have helped you knowing this sooner? What, what kind of impact on you do you think it would have had? I probably wouldn't have spent 20 years going over and over stuff in my brain because um, I had a very, um, some, I had parts of my childhood quite difficult to deal with and it has taken many years of people listening to me. Now, if I'd had Havenin, I could have dealt with this years ago, but it's fairly new technique, so it might not have been around then. But it is great. It, it just helps you move forward and helps you recategorise traumatic memories in your brain so that they can just be stored as ordinary memories and they just don't keep popping up and getting in the way of your life it's it's really really clever it's it's remarkable how massively unhelpful our brains can be 
and it's only being unhelpful because it's trying to help you so when tra traumatic memories are stored they're stored so that you can access them again quite quickly should something similar occur but it can just these memories can just keep popping up at times which are not helpful as well and get in the way even after you feel that you've dealt with it so yeah the brain is use is helpful it's really really trying to help you but there's so many things it does which we don't need quite so much these days and that's that's the thing <laughs> it's, yeah it's been, a, it's been a really interesting tool to learn I won't be using it to half of its capacity in in my coaching but it's great to have met the community of people who work with it on a much deeper level and should and I'd be able to refer people to them as well which is mm. great how did you how did you end up getting involved in that and learning about that during lockdown what was the path that led you there before lockdown I had some coaching and my coach uses it as a tool I couldn't move on in my business and it was it all my my niece had died and we'd, it was obviously very upsetting and I just couldn't although I'd sort of dealt with that I couldn't move forward and I didn't realize it was related and I'm um, using the havening technique it helped me understand it was related and how sometimes your memories can get tangled with other memories which are it's really unhelpful but havening it was just amazing it a couple of hours and it was all done and dusted and I was able to move on which is just incredible really I mean I've been fortunate in the sense that I don't have a I don't have a lot of sort of things that I'd call trauma but I do have and and this is kind of where I can I can imagine that it would be something that would be incredibly helpful to be able to move on because I've got just some really embarrassing things <laughs> like feelings that, that occur to me every now and again when I think about for example I was I spent a couple of months in France as part of my as part of my degree. I did French at uni and did a couple of months over the summer in France. And I was translating in a, a little kind of like museum thing for so if they had English holidaymakers come in, I would translate. And I realized after two weeks being there that there were like two or three things in that place that I had been translating completely wrongly for weeks. And not just like not just like wrongly in the kind of like, you know, sort of pigeon French kind of, you know, hello, hello kind of fashion, more like I was probably saying something quite inappropriate. And, and even now, as a 45 year old man who is never going to see any of those people ever again, it still absolutely makes me cringe when I think about it. Yeah. Do, do, do you know what I mean? The, the kind of those sort of like awful feelings. And if that had been something serious that was kind of triggered by whatever I sort of thought about whatever particular subject matter it was, I was thinking there. Because I do think about it probably, I would say, you know, once every few months it kind of pops back. I wonder if it pops up when you're doubting yourself a little bit as well. So you might be doubting yourself about something completely unrelated and then your brain reminds you, oh, do you remember when you felt this before, when you were saying this stuff that was wrong? And it's mm. that sort of feeling of doubt and possibly a bit of shame, maybe. And it's that strong that your brain just has stored it thinking oh we i'll remind you about this every time you feel that yeah, yeah exactly you could completely remove that emotion from that memory and then your brain will go oh right it's just it's it's really so i, I can really imagine how if you've got very very strong feelings attached to a, a memory how that could be de completely debilitating and that could really could really like stop you stop you moving moving further than that i think things like it's interesting as well because music being like quite so evocative with with memory you can end up with you know so there's certain 
certain pieces of music or certain songs that I have struggled to listen to in certain moods because they're so very, very sort of emotionally anchored with certain times in my life or certain people or certain experiences, hmm. which is a real shame because some of it's stuff I like. So again, being able to sort of divorce those those emotions from that piece of music in some respects might be helpful. But you have to be careful when you use techniques like Havening that you don't remove something that's useful. So mm-hmm. you have to really think about, well, do I use this to push myself forward in life? And if you do, perhaps don't touch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're going to be given evidence or anything like that, <laughs> definitely don't touch it. Some Sometimes we, we have things happen and we do, we use them to propel ourselves forward like you know it's like a little bit of fuel isn't it mm-hmm. uh, and those ones you probably shouldn't touch uh, but it depends on the person sure and yeah i i suppose there's a because there's a double edge to all emotions we, we talk a lot about like stress being a negative thing and something that you know we we need to manage or control but actually if we a certain amount of tension a certain amount of stress is actually like you say it's fuel it provides forward momentum it you know it gets adrenaline moving in a way that enables us to I know perform well and that whole idea of nerves and anxiety and excitement and all of those things being really really close together sort of chemically in the body it's just the way that we we choose to to acknowledge and and act on those so yeah there can be useful feelings or those you know, some things that we perceive as as unhelpful, actually, if you can if you can reframe them and if you can think about them in a different way, they can actually be super helpful to to motivate you, push you forward. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a big thing, isn't it? Reframing things. Somebody said to me recently, anxiety often isn't anxiety. It, it could be excitement. And if you thought if you thought of it in that way, then you can completely change how you feel about what's happening. So, you know, it depends on the circumstance. But, yeah, I think people are too quick to label themselves as anxious when they get that sort of feeling, whereas it actually sometimes could be quite a useful feeling, you know, and you shouldn't, and sometimes you just shouldn't ignore it as well. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the, I when I played in bands and so on, I would often get asked, you know, do you get nervous? And it's kind of the same when I'm going to do a workshop or if I'm speaking, some people say, do you get nervous? And generally I get excited. I'm like, oh, I don't get nervous, I get excited. And then, but in, in reflection, actually, it's pretty much the same feeling. Mm-hmm. Am I, you know, I get, you know, my heart's racing and I'm kind of a little bit twitchy and a little bit, but there's, because I'm generally heading into something that I know I enjoy and I'm focusing on the positive aspects of doing it and it's something that you know that I feel like I'm good at and I know that I'm going to contribute then it's it's a completely different feeling to how if I'm you know about to go in and do an exam or something yeah so the second question that I asked you to think about was a book or a concept that change the way you think about things that maybe alter the direction of your life or, or change the way that you approach things this is so hard because I'm I've got so many books and I love books so much and I, I reread them over and over and over but what popped into my head was a book that I got when I was in sixth form at school and it was 
the Beatles illustrated lyrics. Wow, okay. That's a fantastic a, book as well. Yeah, it was a reprint in 1990. I checked the date. And then it originally came out in... When was it? 1969. So it was in two editions, 1969, 1970. And it's Beatles fan art. And it's been been edited by Alan Aldridge, who did a lot of artwork for the Beatles. And it's all different lyrics, which have been illustrated by Beatles fans. And some of it's awful. (laughs) It's really interesting. There's a lot of photography. It's it's quite racy in places, but it's just really fascinating to see how people have re- listened to the lyrics and then they've created these really weird pieces of art around them. Yeah, and so I bought that and it um, in- inspired me when I was at school to create a big music mural in the sixth form common room. So that had the Beatles in it and Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, David Bowie, and it went round the wall it was massive. I had to pay, pay for all the materials myself, but school let me do it. And I think it was there for about a decade after I left. It's not there now, I've been told. But it was at the time where I was just sort of exploring what graphic design was for me and um, thinking of going to college to do graphic design. And there was a film, I don't know if you remember the Living Newton-John film, Xanadu. Um, I'm aware of it, yeah. Terrible film. (laughs) It's a film of two halves. One half is okay, the other one's dreadful. But in it, the main character, he's a graphic designer, and what he does is he recreates album artwork uh, onto walls, onto big pieces of board, and they're placed as billboards almost. And uh, I must have seen that around about that time. And it just... That, the book thinking of becoming a graphic designer and, you know, quite excited about that part of my life starting. This book is, yeah, it's really, it's really important. I've really looked after it. Nobody's allowed to touch it, but it's just the strangest book. I'd urge anybody to look at it and you think, what? I mean, there's clearly a lot of drugs taken, people. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And it turned out my art teacher at the time, he, when I showed it to him, he got him all excited because he'd actually gone to college with John Lennon. So he was able to chat about that. I didn't know him, but he was there in the same year. And that was quite interesting. Yeah. So what, what was it that drew you to a book about the illustrated Beatles lyrics in the 1990s? Well, how how you, did that happen? I don't know if you went into sixth form. But it appears when you go into the sixth form, all anybody wants to do is listen to the Beatles. Beatles, yes. And so you go to the common room and it's just Beatles playing all the time and you go to art, do a bit of extra art. And there was one person in particular who constantly played the doors, which I can't bear. But yeah, it was just, it felt really current, even though it's not, you know, it's, it's quite strange that at that age, everybody seeks out 60s music but I don't know if they still do probably not they're probably seeking out 80s music or something now (laughs) but it was yeah it felt really current and had friends which were really into the Beatles and this book had been released I'd seen it in the bookshop and yeah (laughs) spent all my money on it interesting so I mean I guess for the listeners you and I met 
almost entirely through the fact that we have vinyl collections that we have ended up using in a, like business branding. Like literally, I think I saw you posted some stuff about your new your new branding photos that you're using for your business on LinkedIn and a mutual contact was kind of like tagged me into it going is Vicky in your house like is that your background <laughs> it's a, you're doing all right but and yeah so that's this is kind of how we've we've ended up being in touch and I'm just kind of interested how does how does that the the, the Beatles and Xanadu connection with you getting into graphic design I mean how does vinyl play into that from your point of view like it's aesthetics and music and artwork and those things all playing together. I think it's so important, isn't it? I remember being at school and we were we were learning how to use an airbrush. And I'd seen this album cover. And I, if I thought about it, I would try and dig out. I think I've still got it. My uncle had got these albums by a band called Asia. And they're all fantasy drawings of dragons coming out of the sea and I tried to recreate all of that sort of stuff when I was about 16. Obsessed with records all my life I have been. My dad was very proud of his records. He, he Most of his records didn't have sleeves and they were just old jukebox records in a box and they're all getting scratched and I remember I spent about a year making case making sleeves for his records and cataloging them as soon as I could I bought myself a record player and I started buying records for myself and that they've all I'm, so, I'm such a nerd most of my records back then I've only ever played them once and that is was to tape them so I would I'd take buy them to tape them listen to them one time and it's only in recent years where we've got like a setup now in our dining room that I've got them out and I've played them all properly, how they should be played. But I just wanted to keep everything mint because my dad's, a lot of his records were scratched in that box and they, they sounded really sort of crackled. So I just didn't want that to happen to my records. Although his were like 50s, 60s records and they're quite, they're much more stiffer, aren't they? And mm, More bristle, yeah. Much, they're much more brittle and they're they're rougher. You know, you can see the grooves a bit more. Yeah, so I've just they're just so nice, aren't they? And it, it's it's about having them, smelling them. <laughs> I do sniff vinyl. It's really quite bad, but I just love it. And I, I still buy vinyl now. I mean, I had a couple turn up last week, and I've got. I know I've got. I've just seen a dispatch notice on another one that's on its way, and. Fortunately, they're, they're too expensive now, so that keeps a lid on it. But yeah, we we, we like to go to car boots and have a rummage. And <laughs> if we're on holiday, the kids are like, oh, no, because, you know, we'll nip in a few charity shops. And, you know, if we've got a bit of time, we might pop in, seek out a record shop and drive there for the day. <laughs> but it's just, they're just such lovely things. And I know lots of people don't understand it, but... um. It's the collection, isn't it? <laughs> Record fair, secondhand bookshops. Yeah, absolutely. My kryptonite yeah. on a holiday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I'm I'm not so bad as my husband. Yeah. <laughs> the, I I found a I was at some kind of trade show or like exhibition or something like many years ago, and there was a company who was selling, and I've, I've still got a set of them going up our stairs, which are like these. They're picture frames designed for vinyl and they've got like a little button on the top that pops them open so you can switch around what you're having. 
and I I really enjoy them as a, a way of kind of reminding myself about sleeve art of of records that I like because you know they just if they just sit spine on then you know you can't really enjoy them quite as much and obviously you know streaming and um, digital music has kind of relegated the the artwork aspect of of, of records to have something quite peripheral and mm. I just remember as a kid when you know when there wasn't an, an internet to find out everything you ever needed to know about everything just searching through the sleeve notes and the 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 liner notes and the and the covers for any kind of information or inkling about like what does this band look like you know how many of them are there what does it what do they do where's this come from you know and especially like some of the indie stuff that was particularly obtuse in its design either by either by design or by necessity it just kind of ended up with this whole enigma around the the, the people who you listen to that kind of only that now I, I think is very very difficult for for artists to achieve just because the amount of coverage that they can get and the the way that they you know you could there's a wikipedia page about them you can find out where they were born you can find out what they have for breakfast and just any kind of mystery or enigma around around music i think is very very difficult for bands to maintain if that's what they want to do i mean record sleeves they're just so they're almost mystical aren't they they're they're they're, they're so lovely and one band i really liked was boston the um band from the 70s more than a feeling mm-hmm. uh, that song and their record cover very like the asia ones for sort of fantasy ones but they were always like these spaceships they obviously wanted to have this sort of elo type feel to their covers and i've got a couple and on the back is like the picture of the band and everything and it was only in the last sort of decade i found out that it wasn't even a band it was just <laughs> one guy who created everything so they were lying to you as well it's the only way you could find out about the band was on the record yeah like you say there wasn't an internet so everybody thought it was a band yeah bizarre but yeah it's they're lovely and and I love the way that some of the design for record covers is a bit iconic as well mm-hmm. it's definitely record covers it's record covers and magazines that got me into graphic design particularly adverts in magazines. But I mean, the Def Leppard Hysteria album, when you started buying all the singles and you realised each single cover was a bit of the album cover chopped up. And if you collected all the singles, you had the album cover. I mean, that's just quite cool, isn't it? Well, with the, with, with the exception of the beam by Def Leppard. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I, um, I've got a downstairs a book of comic covers um, a big book of comic covers that are all inspired by hip hop albums. So there's oh, like right. two volumes of Marvel covers that are all inspired by hip hop albums. Oh, and wow. it just shows the extent to which kind of music and other, you know, music informs other artwork, other art forms in, in so many different ways. And um, yeah, the whole, you know, record sleeve, the classic record sleeve homage type is almost a genre in and of itself now, isn't it? And I, I also really enjoyed that brief period from kind of like the early 2000s that was kind of people working record sleeves into photos of themselves. So kind of like there'd be like half of their face or like, you know, Janet Jackson's head and body and their legs or whatever it was who, you know, holding <laughs> up the record sleeve. Yeah, my Just, 
so I think there's a so I, yeah I, I just think there's something about the way that those those pieces of art yeah they go into this, the the cultural consciousness don't they and you can mm-hmm. see something being referenced and you know exactly what it is that they're they're referencing it's fantastic yeah and apparently people just buy them now just for the art just mm-hmm. to put them on the wall loads of people are buying vinyl and they're not even playing them which is just bizarre but i mean i wonder how i wonder how much of it as well is is to do with kind of like the permanence of it so I, I know we've had this conversation before but i have i've got more records that i bought like 25 years ago that i can still listen to than records i bought 15 years ago because stuff i bought 15 years ago kind of like the beginning of digital was all covered in drm and the the they've gone out of business and those those retailers got out of business and I'm so you know even if I knew what random hard drive that's in the loft those things were on I probably wouldn't be able to play them anymore mm-hmm. and I think now we're in this era of essentially renting our record collections from your apples and your spotify's I I wonder if something about the resurgence of vinyl is to do with the permanence of it and the fact that you know you've bought it now and as long as you've got like a needle and a cone you're going to be able to like listen to that after the apocalypse. So it's quite, there's something very sort of anti-streaming about vinyl as well, I think. Yeah, no, I just, it's, I'm a bit of a hoarder. So it's just stuff, nice to have that sort of stuff around you. And I know a lot of people aren't like that. They're quite minimal these days. But no, I like, I like to have the tangible thing. Mm. Yeah, much nicer. <laughs> So we're getting into the section of the podcast now where we talk about recommendations and things that make your lives easier. So what's your one absolutely indispensable tool? What's the thing that you use every day that you couldn't do without, that you absolutely swear by and would be lost without? Right. Well, obviously I have to use a Mac every day, my artwork, but it is useless without my barrel pen. (laughs) Nice. My my, I have boxes of these, barrel fine liner pens, and they drive my husband mad because they're everywhere. They also bleed if they get wet, you know. But notebook and a barrel pen, that is all I need, really. Possibly two barrel pens in case one runs out. But I carry those everywhere. <laughs> Bags everywhere. Every bag I have has at least two barrel pens in it. So that, that's what I had to go with, really. I mean... Obviously, I have I have lots of Apple products for my work, and they're lovely. But there's, you know, design is pointless. Designing on a computer is pointless if you haven't sketched it out first, and that's what the barrel pen is for. <laughs> so, we're talking the classic old school barrel fine line fibre tip. Yeah. Marker. Yeah, and they're okay. so hard to get now. I had a bit of panic during lockdown because I emptied a box. I thought, oh my God, I'm out of pens because I normally have about three boxes sitting waiting to go. Even though I've already said I've got two pens in virtually every bag, mm. it still panicked me. And I went online looking and I couldn't get them anywhere. And in the end, I had to buy <laughs> some off eBay. I found this somebody who was selling old stock on eBay. So I don't know if they don't make them anymore which would make me really sad or if it was just a pandemic thing but I, I've, I've now got a little stash to keep me going but they're great and the coloured ones are nice as well I've just um, got a thing about them I've always had a thing about them we used to have them as the pens in class I think when I was mm. in the first 
goal, middle school. And they just were something to aspire to was to have a pack of barrel pens that was all my own. And now they, I own hundreds. They are class. I, I have to say, I have not seen one of those pens in years. They are they are a classic. And, yeah. and the turquoise one for people who can't see turquoise one with the black end and the black cap yeah and the caps and the cap posts mm -hmm. nicely doesn't it on the, on yeah. the, on the end and what that's is another thing yeah, it's a good sort of click, click. yeah um, what's what so what is it particularly about that pen oh it just it's lovely if you've got a nice heavyweight cartridge paper with, with which is sort of quite smooth it just glides it's just lovely. It makes your handwriting look lovely. I just love it. It's a great pen. <laughs> Anybody needs any other pen than a barrel pen. <laughs> it's. I mean, pens are is a pens are a subject that you can that, that I know a lot of people can get quite quite personal about. I'm a fountain pen person myself. My wife likes a gel pen, but the 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 barrel fiber tip fine liner is a, that is a proper like old school blast from the past. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to know when they first arrived, but I've definitely seen them since the 70s. I think as well, didn't they re-engineer the cap to add the little airflow thing in it? Is it got a little airflow thing in it now? No. So you so can't choke on it? It's properly dangerous. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's no probably... That maybe that's one of the ones that it was kind of been sitting on a shelf since the 1980s and... Just like they, they couldn't sell them like to schools because of the choking hazard. And I know they did that with Bic, didn't they? They did that with the Bic Biro. They put a hole yeah, in there. that's right. Yeah, I'm certain that there was a, a generation of of barrel pens that had like a little airflow thing in the end of it. But I'll have to have to have, have to Google it. Have to Google it when we finish just to just to check it out. So aside from your barrel pen and and you're you're not allowed to include your recent purchase of a thousand barrel pens off ebay in a job lot in your answer for to, to the next question but what was the last like really really useful thing that you bought or acquired the last useful thing that i bought was a ring doorbell which i then really enjoyed setting up and using the app and getting that going i've bought some cameras to go with it and i've added to it already so easy to use it's a great brand visually it's a brilliant brand Product design is lovely. But I just kept having, well, in our street, the numbers end at, num at our house and then the street carries on and it becomes the avenue and then all the numbers start again. And we've got a sign on our door that says, please check that you need to be, this is the, need to be here. This is the street, not the avenue, you know. <laughs> and people still knock on the door with deliveries. And um, I just thought, Right, I need one of those ring doorbells, so I just can answer my phone and go to the wrong address. But it's it's just it's just so clever. The app and everything's absolutely clever. And then I have had to contact their customer service because I messed something up. And the customer service is brilliant as well. So big tick for ring. But it, it's again the the way they've designed everything's very Apple, isn't it? It's the graphics is got that sort of feel to it and the products have as well so I was totally sucked in ages before I bought it but yeah that's my most recent gadget excellent so are you, are you in the process of now smarting up do you think you're going to get on that sort of smart home bandwagon 
No, no, I don't think so. I mean, my son wanted an Alexa thing and we've bought him one of those for his bedroom. I really don't like the idea of that being in the house, but it's in, it's confined to his room and that's that. But I wouldn't have them anywhere else, no. I like the idea of having lots of speakers around the house so you can just turn on, listen to music and turn on speakers as you walk through the house. Mm -hmm. And I babysat for somebody when I was about 16, 17 and they had that and it was amazing. And um, so that was in the night of that. I, it's still something that I need to sort out. So I imagine I'll probably get sucked into a Sonos Vortex at some point. Nice. Yeah. It's, yeah, the, the problem is if you listen to records, of course, then if you're wondering how this house, around the house listening to it, you don't have to go back to turn it over. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, so you don't you don't want to wander too far away from it. No. Were you, were you ever a did did you ever watch Twin Peaks? Yes, yes, I did yeah. watch that. Yeah. Yeah, because there's the I don't know if you remember the really really terrifying episode in season two where we find out who who the killer is and there is a extremely disturbing scene there. It starts the disturbing scene starts with the record finishing. And just going into the run of run out groove and clicking around this run out groove. Oh yeah, yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah. And yeah, and that run out groove is basically the soundtrack to a horrific murder sequence that also, for some inexplicable reason, involves a horse and various other things that are, are in, happening in the background. And for years, that was pr a proper trigger for me. If like if I let a record, if I fell asleep listening to a record. And I think it's possibly that I fell asleep listening to a record not long after this had happened. I just woke up and it was just like click, click, click. And oh I was God. absolutely terrified. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, it took me a really long time to get to the stage where I, I wasn't just like jumping to my feet and whipping the needle off the record, at the, you know, just before the last chord had even sounded to avoid myself getting dragged down this lynching terror hole. Oh, no, I don't, rem I don't really remember it. So it, it didn't traumatise me. That's, that, that, that's good. Yeah, we rewatched it. We rewatched it a lot long since because the, the the final because they were doing like the, the reboot mm. or, the, or the kind of like the, the the you know the third season or whatever. And yeah, it's still bizarre. Like even after the, the although the strangest thing about it after all these years is that I don't understand how it was ever on primetime television. Like I don't. I had to watch it again because of the reboot, and I found it really boring. The first time I watched it, I watched it in black and white and on a screen which was about 14 inches <laughs> because I wasn't I didn't have a TV in my room and my parents wouldn't have had it on so I watched it on this my mum had this TV which was also a radio I don't know if you remember them oh, so, okay yeah so it was 14 inches a screen might even have been 12 inches no 14 inches but the back of it was almost twice as long as what the screen was in size. It was just the weirdest thing. It was so that she could watch a bit of TV in bed. But you got the TV signal on a radio aerial. What, so not one of those extending ones? Yeah, extendable antennas. It was just shocking quality. But it went well with Twin Peaks, the slightly grainy black and white. So when I started watching it, I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. it. 
it felt a bit boring to me and I don't know maybe that's because I watched it in black and white <laughs> so it, it, it lost some of the kind of noirish yeah. grittiness that's that, yeah. that, uh, yeah. interesting mm-hmm. interesting okay so we're we're into the home straight now Vicky so I would like you to complete the sentence do yourself a favor get a coach obviously something I'm quite passionate about as I am a coach myself but I think everybody who's in business or everybody who works really should have somebody in their life who's going to listen to them be on their side but not get emotionally involved and keep you accountable Mm. Uh, I have to say I've got a couple of coaches and without them I don't know what I would do to be honest with you they are they're brilliant you can tell people you live with stuff about work and nobody really is listening (laughs) in my house but they're not they've got their own thing going on but somebody who is there to listen to you and listen to um what you've got to say and also challenge what you're saying ask you questions you hadn't thought of yourself possibly mentor you and give you a bit of advice that's just brilliant. I think it's priceless and everybody should have one. There's, there's, there's must be one out there for everybody. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. This is, it's something that I've discovered at various points where I've been a little bit stuck and then having someone to, to just ask questions from a point of view of no real agenda is, mm-hmm. it's a really helpful way of unsticking you from a particular rut or maybe just helping you look at something in a slightly different you said you've got you've got two coaches at, at the moment so they for different parts of your life or different aspects of your, your work or or what what's the what's the the different dynamics there well, i have one coach who got me into coaching and so he's responsible but he's sort of mentoring me now and that's purely to help me get a lot get on with my coaching business and move it forward he's he's very good and then I have another coach who's there for all other business related to work my way through yeah okay so kind of business working on your business rather than in your business kind of yeah that's the sort of thing yeah yeah Mm -hmm. obviously it all it all crosses over Mm -hmm. and now that one of my coaches is more of a mentor he's and he's busy with his business. He's less there for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have one to pay for as well. I think certainly from a, a point of view of having, of being a business owner, having, having someone who knows about the business side of it, whether it's a, you know, a paid business coach or somebody who's just been through it and is able to be there and that's a bit mental. It's absolutely vital because you, people, when people get into into starting their own business and you know I include myself in this and I imagine it's similar for you it's like you get into it to do the thing that the business is about not to run a business Um, and it's and then you end up finding just that there's so much actually often there's more time taken in just figuring out the business side of it is than there is doing the thing that you started the business to do in the first place Mm. So, and it's, it's easy to let some of that slide or it's easy to kind of shortcut it or like just bumble through it without really understanding. So actually having someone who can guide you or challenge you or, or point out things that you could be doing differently, I think is really, really helpful. Also being, if you're a bit creative, you're very much um, drawn in by shiny things. (laughs) You can be 
heading in one direction and you can think, oh, actually I could do that. And instead of pausing and thinking about it rationally, do I need to do that? What would that add? You just sort of, you can go off at a tangent and you can spend ages going all the way around the houses and coming back and you've just gone off, off course and then you sometimes don't know how to get yourself back on course. So it's a good way to, you know, good to chat to somebody and say, I'm thinking of doing this and then they can question you and help you decide whether it's the right thing before you waste tons of time doing it necessarily. And, or maybe just say, well, don't forget, leave this by this time, because that's what, and remember you wanted to do this. So perhaps you look at that after you've done this, yeah. you know, so it's, it's just somebody who keeps you heading in the right direction and allows you to explore stuff without going too far off at a tangent, really. Mm you know end of time having a coach it really does <laughs> and I know sometimes people worry about the cost but if you think about the amount of time you can waste that, that has a cost too just just get a coach it'll save you loads of money in the long run fantastic well thank you for today Vicky this has been great it's been lovely to talk to you again okay lovely thank you um where can people find you find out more about you find me on LinkedIn Vicky Lovegrove or at my website, which is 73-3.co.uk. So my business is 73 Design Limited. I've been around a while, so I'm easily found. Excellent. Thanks very much. And thank you for listening to yourself, everybody. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. Brought to you by Make Work Work Better. My name is Tim Sisme from Make Work Work Better. Our theme tune is by The Titanics. Talk to you again soon.